Welcome into the student section, season two, episode 17 of WFUV's College Basketball Podcast. Matt Murphy joined in studio by Dan DiOrio and Tom Scabelli. That's right, Tom, I put Dan first because you spoiled the intro to the show the first time. Here we are, back at it again. The Super Bowl really kind of uh, took us off track a little bit. The three of us were lucky enough to go out there and, and provide some radio coverage from Minnesota, whether you want to say Minneapolis, St. Paul, or Bloomington, where the Mall of America is. It was a great experience, but now all eyes nationally back on college basketball, but we've been following it all year. This is the time of the year where college basketball really takes over. NFL done, NBA and NHL still, you know, in the waning phase of the regular season, but no playoffs basically until college basketball wraps up or just about that. So a lot of great conference action left. We're not too far away from the conference tournaments, which is crazy. And then, of course, March Madness. Yeah, and we're lucky we're here in New York, so we're going to get a chance to provide some coverage from Big East, ACC, and this year the Big Ten tournament when that rolls around in early March. Dan, when we were out in Minnesota, pretty cold. We didn't want to travel around too much. Didn't get a chance to check out the University of Minnesota and get some student section content with the Gophers. Yeah, you know, we wanted to uh, to check out the University of Minnesota, but at the end of the day, so many people were just at the uh, mall there. We didn't. It what it didn't. Didn't you even... see a couple of Minnesota Gophers basketball players? So we did see some players on the team. I'm not that familiar with the team to the point where I can tell you who it was based on you know just the jumpsuit they were wearing. Maybe Tom would have been able to recognize them, but not me. But really great atmosphere, and you know it was the Super Bowl week, but basketball minds were still out there. We interviewed John Henson from UNC. Um, we saw the Minnesota team as you mentioned. So really. Basketball never sleeps. I'm glad that that uh, the focus is going back there. And maybe if we knew who the Minnesota guys were, we could have got them as guests. We do have some good guests coming up on this show. I'll get to that in just one second. And there were so many people going around. I think A.J. Green was in the mall and stuff, different NFL guys. So there was just a whole lot of stuff going on. And you can check out any interviews we did, like the John Henson interview on WFUVsports.org. And this podcast, The Student Section, you can find us on Twitter at StudentSecPod, S-E-C-P-O-D, and under WFUV Sports on iTunes, but no Minnesota Gophers as guests today, but we did have our first dual interview and their siblings from Montreal, Patrick Steves, who is a graduate senior on George Washington, and his sister Erica Steves, who is a junior for the Brown Bears. So why don't we get to that right now, and we've got some talk about the bracket preview as we record this on Sunday afternoon that came out this morning. We'll talk about that after this interview. Right now, let's send it to Patrick and Erica Steves. Pleased to be joined by Patrick Steves, a 6'8 junior, or actually graduate forward, his sister's a junior, from George Washington University, and his sister Erica Steves, a 6'2 junior forward from Brown University. Guys, welcome to the show. You're our first uh, double interview at once and our first set of siblings to join the show, so welcome. You're on with uh, myself and Tom and Dan DiOrio here. Pleased Thank to you. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us. And I'm going to start with Erica. We'll go ladies first here. <laughs> Obviously, with both of you Montreal natives, both Division One college basketball players, got to start with the parents. What type of influence did your parents, Erica, have on where you guys got to in the basketball world? Uh, definitely a very big one. Uh, I'd say when you look at us as a family, we look like a basketball family. My dad is 6'7". Um, my dad, my brother is now six eight. Apparently, he surpassed my dad. Um, and then I'm six two. So uh, we've definitely gotten you know a lot of questions um, about that. And uh, just having a hoop in the backyard, you know, obviously installed by my parents. Uh, my dad was a big influence too. He was our coach growing up. 
And uh, I'd say they never they never really pushed us towards basketball. We played so many sports growing up, you know, soccer. Uh, we did some swimming, skiing. Um, but at the end of the day, we would always end up uh, on the hoop in our backyard. So, um, yeah, I'd say they were a really big influence for that. What was the competition like between you guys growing up? I mean, you're both, you know, highly recruited, you know, good basketball players in Canada. You ever competitive drive between you two to be better playing against each other, maybe a little one-on-one in the backyard? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd say we have different stories for that, obviously. But uh, the ones that I remember most were actually going to different places with friends, and then we always want to team up, um, which could be surprising uh, for siblings growing up especially, but uh, we'd always be like, oh, siblings against, you know, two and two. Uh, we're together. You guys are, are against us. Um, so I think that was pretty special. And then obviously we'd have, you know, different shooting uh, competitions. Um, but I don't, I don't remember playing much one-on-one. Um, I think that was mostly for my sake. I knew that <laughs> I probably couldn't hold a candle to his, um, his size, especially. Obviously I'm a better shooter, but... Um, <laughs> what does yeah. Pat think about that? <laughs> No comment, but uh, <laughs> I, we used to we, we used to beat up a lot on some other guys. Um, we go, for example, to Big Bear, where I, where I um, played in high school, and uh, Erica and I would would beat up on uh, two of my teammates. So that was pretty fun. <laughs> so, Erica, you mentioned how much your parents influenced your basketball career, but how about your brother? How much did Pat help you, uh, you know, pursue that D one dream? Hi, um, yeah. So, I. Um... Actually, when I was uh, getting recruited, I was a postgraduate at Phillips Exeter. Um, I did an extra year because the recruiting process was um, hard for me. And when I had a few offers, um, I actually was talking to Pat about them, and I was going to go on a uh, college tour. Um, And he'd been at Harvard for two years, um, and he told me, uh, if you have a chance to play at an Ivy League school, you can't pass it up uh, because the you know student-athlete experience you get there is not comparable to any other league. Um, so that was a huge factor in why I decided to come to Brown. Um, and, yeah, I definitely, you know, uh, was very grateful that he told me that because I was considering other schools, um, and he's a big reason why I did end up here. And, Pat, before you got to GW where you're currently at, obviously you had a career at Harvard. Why was it so important for you to kind of guide – your sister Erica towards the Ivy League. Uh, I mean, by by the time she was going through the recruiting process, like she said, I'd had two years there, and uh, my experience at Harvard was really um, unbelievable. And you know, as a student athlete in the Ivy League, obviously you give up uh, certain things. It's not you know you don't get the biggest crowds, you don't um, you know play the most televised games, etc. But as a life experience and just you know, setting yourself up for uh, for your future, I think it's, I thought it was, it was something that she couldn't pass on. It's a question for both of you guys growing up playing in Canada, in Montreal. What was the transition like from going, playing Can- Canadian basketball to playing D1 in the United States? I know a lot of times people come over from Europe to America, there's a bit of a transition. Did you notice a transition? Did you guys have to change your games at all? I definitely noticed it. Um I think physically it's a, it's a different game. Um, you're much better athletes here in the states, um, and so I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I had to change my game at all. Um, it was more just I had to get better in literally every single way to be able to compete and to get um, you know get looks and get recruited and get noticed by college coaches. What about you, Erica? 
Yeah, I'd actually have to agree with that. I um, was the tallest girl on most of my teams in uh, in Montreal, and uh, I was used to you know getting the ball up high, turning around, easy layup. But um, when I got here, the physicality was was definitely really different, uh, especially with my height. I was initially playing more of a five. Uh, and eventually, you know, when uh, I developed my three-point shot more and more, um, now I'm more of like a 3-4. But definitely the physicality, you know, down low, uh, getting hit and just like taking the contact, getting in ones, uh, was definitely something I struggled with at first. But I think I've gotten used to that. And Pat, you briefly brought up your time at Brebeuf. Um I'm sure I didn't pronounce that exactly how you did earlier. <laughs> but uh, how, how would you describe that experience before you got to college? It was awesome. Um, I guess growing up, our parents put a lot of emphasis on academics. And so Bougabeuf is pretty much like the best uh, academic school in the province of Quebec. Um, and they also have a really good basketball program. And so that's obviously where uh, that was my top choice when we were to go to high school. And uh, I got lucky enough that <clears throat> my last year there, which um, the education system in Quebec is a bit different. So the last year of high school is grade 11. Yeah. Um, but uh, Nem and Joe Chartouni both transferred in um, for that last year. And so we kind of had a, a powerhouse team that year. And obviously both of them are great guys. We're still very, very good friends. Um, and, yeah, it was a blast. It was like us three. And then there was another uh, really good player, Simon Michon, and the four of us kind of dominated the league that that year and it was really fun are you just saying that about Nemanja because you know he's on the phone line listening to us right now <laughs> <laughs> so um you obviously talked about how great it was at Brebeuf how much of an influence does the Montreal basketball have an impact and remain a part of your life seeing now you transferred into GW head coach Maurice Joseph ties to the Montreal basketball community how significant was that the the fact that uh Mojo was from Montreal. Yeah, was that a, was that a factor when you were considering uh, George Washington? Uh, definitely. I mean, so when I um, committed here, he was actually the assistant, and then he got promoted um, in the fall when I got here. Um, but during the recruiting process, obviously, you know, when I decided that I wanted to use my extra years of eligibility, and I was looking at programs to go to, he was one of my first phone calls because obviously I knew him from Montreal. Um, and just the, the quality of the program here. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of funny how it turned out playing for a, for a coach coach from home. Pat, I do, I do want to ask another question about your time playing in Canada. I know you were on the Canadian Cadet Men's National Team in 2011. You won a bronze medal at the FIBA U16 America's Championship in 2011. What were those experiences like for you? Amazing. Unbelievable. Um, and you hear a lot about those guys saying places that basketball can, can bring you to and experiences you can have, you know, playing basketball and those two tournaments, the uh, FIBA Americas tournament in Cancun and then uh, the World Championships in uh, Lithuania were um, two of the coolest, obviously, basketball experiences I've had, but also life experiences, just traveling to Cancun with a, with a team of, you know, 16-year-old guys just having fun, playing ball, and then going to Lithuania, which, you know, I'm pretty traveled, but I would, you know, never have gone there probably um, if it wasn't for this uh, for this tournament. So, and just the ability to represent your country and, and play against you know the best fifteen players from Argentina or China or um, Croatia, um, it was pretty unreal. 
Erica, now both of you guys growing up in, in a, with an interest in the game of basketball, who was your favorite player, I guess individually, or maybe the both of you that you would like to watch growing up on the basketball court, or maybe a team if, if you don't have a specific player that you grew up watching? Uh, I don't think I ever really had a specific player. Um, I wasn't much of an NBA or WNBA uh, girl. Now I'm definitely more, you know, I watch every college basketball game I can watch. Um, but thinking back on it, I think Candace Parker um, was definitely, you know, someone I looked up to. Um, she can kind of do it all. Uh, and that's, you know, kind of what I try to do, uh, shooting threes, posting up, uh, depending on the game. And then, obviously, growing up with Pat, um, he would show me different moves, uh, and we'd go to practice sometimes together. When we were growing up, I would be on his um, – uh, I would practice sometimes when my dad was the coach, uh, just, like, hop into different drills um, and try different things, different moves. Um, so I think, you know, having him there to teach me different things was big, um, and he was also someone I looked up to. Now, besides being D1 college basketball players, both of you guys are – Pretty smart, from what I gather. Pat, you're pursuing a master's degree in business analytics at GW after killing it at Harvard. And Erica, double major in international relations and social analysis and research. So what I want to know from both Patrick and Erica, what is it like for you not only having to you know, be a D1 basketball player, but also keep up with your studies? How delicate is that balance and how do you guys manage it so well? Um, it's definitely a challenge. But, um, you know, I think, like, going, for example, to BF prepared me well for it. Um, and then going down to Hotchkiss, which was also a really um, good academic school, um, kind of set us up for for succeeding in that environment. Um, yeah, I don't know, Erica. What do you think, Erica? It never really – I, like, tried to pile, like, as, as many things on my plate as possible, like doing, like, extracurricular stuff, get involved in groups. Um, yeah, I just, like, I hate being uh, – being bored so I like I like being busy yeah I'd have to agree and I think one of the biggest things we both learned from from high school was time management um for example I have three essays due on Wednesday and I was writing them you know at 11 p.m last night coming back from Columbia instead of watching the movie that was on um but that's just something we learned to do um and I'd say we both have gotten pretty good at it um but yeah at first obviously it was a challenge especially coming from French school for both of us I think I struggled with it a little more, um, just the academic component of my first year at prep school, but uh, I'm in a pretty good groove now. <laughs> yeah, and Erica, Tom just brought up both of you and Pat's majors, and you're at Brown, double major, international relations, social analysis, and research. Research, excuse me. What is your dream job? Um, I'm still not, you know, I still have a dream job. Last summer I did uh, a research fellowship in China, um, and I was actually investigating the, the basketball market there, uh, wow. which was awesome. And uh, I worked in an NBA camp in Hangzhou. I did some traveling in Beijing and Shanghai, and I, I met different, um, you know, sports officials, uh, CBA, CBA people, um, which is their league down there. Um, and so that was definitely eye-opening for me. And I met a lot of the NBA staff, and then, Right now, I'm doing an internship with Global Sports Analytics, which is uh, basketball-focused. Um, they're doing different different statistics, uh, trying to bridge the gap between agency and stats. Uh, so I'm trying to help them out with that. Um, obviously, you know, the sports world for me is super interesting. Um, but then again, I'm doing international relations uh, with a focus in econ. So 
international business, international law is also really interesting to me. Um, hopefully I figure that out sometime soon. I'm sure you will. Very good stuff, though. So, Erica, you. You, you mentioned how playing in the Ivy League is such a unique experience. Given that both you guys have played there, what, what, what is it about the Ivy League that makes it such a unique experience for a college athlete? I think uh, the biggest part is that we're all kind of striving for the same thing, which is to be the best we can both on the court and uh, in the classroom. Someone who hates school is definitely not going to come here um, because it's most of our day is, is, you know, around school and then the rest of it is basketball. Um, and so I think it's, it's awesome to just walk around campus, walk around the gym and know that everybody there is uh, aiming to be, you know, the best version of ourselves. Um, not only for basketball, but also for academics. And so having people around us that support us, uh, our athletic directors, you know, knows when I have exams um, and different things like that has been really cool. Now on the topic of the Ivy League, Pat, you faced a lot of adversity during your time at Harvard in terms of injuries. I know you had the stress fracture in the foot and then the ACL that kept you out for a couple of years, but you bounced back your senior year. What's the biggest thing that you learned about yourself while battling those injuries? Um, I guess that I can persevere through anything. Um, you know, those, those three years, especially the third year, um, you know, there were some dark times, a lot of times where I never thought I'd get back on the court. Um, I, I hadn't played a single minute my first three years and, um, it really wasn't looking like I was going to get healthy for senior year. Um, and so that, you know, summer and fall leading up to, to the season, I thought, all right, like I'm going to stay on the team for, for my senior year because I love the guys. I love the program, but you know, kind of sucks. It's like, a uh, my dream of playing division one basketball kind of happened. I got here, but I didn't you know take advantage of it at all or didn't get any minutes. Um, but you know, as it turned out, I got healthy in the fall and, uh, and really showed that all the work I've been putting in for the, the three years paid off, um, not only that senior year, but then turned out to get two extra years of eligibility to, to get a free master's. So um, kind of everything, everything worked out. And Erica, what was it like for you watching your older brother struggle through all those injuries? And then on the other side of that coin, uh, coin, Pat, how much of a help and an inspiration was Erica and the rest of your family to inspire you to just keep on going? Um, I can say, so, oh, okay, okay, go ahead, Erica. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was really hard, uh, you know, having, seeing him like realize his dream of playing D1 and then just being sidelined for three years. Um, and it was almost like surgery after surgery. Uh, and I still remember like where I was, um, I was in my dorm common room when he called me and said, I, I tore my ACL. Um, and initially I was like, like stunned um but i knew that um he you know i'd be there for him to to rely on um if he needed you know motivation or anything like that and then for his third surgery i was actually uh able to be there um and you know it was like a small one just because he had scar scar tissue in there but it was a third surgery it was a big one um when you think about the mental aspect of it and so i wanted to be there Uh, i made it there you know for the day left left uh, like two hours after surgery i think um, so, you know, I definitely tried to be there as much as I could. Um, and I was there for him to talk to whenever, but I think, you know, seeing a, your big brother go down like that, uh, be out for three, three years was tough. Um, but it only made it so much better to see him, uh, come back his senior year. 
All right, guys, so we know you're super busy, so we have a couple more questions before we finish up with our Start the Buses segment, which is like a rapid-fire type thing, like one thing or the other, so we'll do that in just a second. But, Pat, what was going through your head when you took the floor for Harvard after three years without playing a regular season minute? Because I know your bench and your teammates and your coaches were pretty fired up. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, I remember literally thinking, I don't remember what uh, – playing in a game feels like um i've been in a few practices and stuff but the environment's obviously not the same and um the first time that i took the floor was you know just like garbage time at the end of the game against mit we're up 20 or so and yeah i mean super nervous obviously i checked in um the crowd was was amazing and um cheered pretty loudly and yeah, I was like kind of in the daze that whole time. I I literally forgotten what what playing in the game feels like. I hadn't played in in over three years. It's something an incredible comeback, and I know on your comeback, you you took up an interest in analytics and sports analytics, and that's something that you know you still have an interest in majoring in uh, business analytics for your master's degree. So I want to know how do you take basketball analytics with you on the court and would you recommend to any younger basketball players listening that they also take up an interest in basketball analytics because it does seem to be the future and do you think it could help you and others with your game on the court yeah i mean i'm not i'm not gonna you know pretend like i have a bunch of numbers floating in my head <laughs> during the game but i think when you you know you step back and you look at a, a box score or you look at film and you kind of think about your decision-making and, and the team's decision-making, um, you know, more uh, objectively in terms of what was the right play here, um, what could I have done better just to maximize our chances of scoring or getting a stop or whatever it is. And, uh, yeah, I mean, for, for any, you know, young player growing up and, and playing basketball, I think it's, a, it's important to understand the, the analytics behind basketball because, um, obviously, it's, it's taking on a much bigger role in the game. Um, and it's going to shape a lot of, you know, coaches' decision. Um, you know, for example, if your coaches want big men who can shoot now because it's the game's kind of shifting to a uh, layup or um, three-point shot method of play, and kind of getting rid of the pull-up two and just things like that. That if you're if you're just you don't have to be like a an expert analytics whiz, but just to be conscious of it and be able to um, play around with it, I think is very important. All right, guys, let's wrap up with our Start the Buses segment. Like I said, just a whole bunch of rapid-fire questions, and we'll do our best to direct the questions to either one of you. I'll start with Erica. Your brother played mm -hmm. for Harvard. You play at Brown. What is your favorite road Ivy League venue, favorite place to play at in the Ivy League? The Palastra. It's That's, amazing. That was a softball question to get us started here. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, this one's for you. Where have you liked living more, Boston area or D.C.? Um, Boston. Erica, do you have any pregame rituals, something you like to do before you take the hardwood? Um. Maybe superstitions? I, well, I actually always sit next to my point guard for every single game, uh, for the pregame speech and then at halftime and also the same locker, which is kind of weird, but she's my best friend and roommate, um, and we're both kind of superstitious about that. There you go. All right, Pat, this one's for you. I asked it to Trey Bell Haynes from Vermont when we interviewed him earlier this season. Being a Canadian player, Steve Nash or Andrew Wiggins, who do you like more? I love Steve Nash. Grew up, I mean, I played um, 
against Andrew in a in a Canadian team trial. But I grew up watching Steve Nash. I love Steve Nash. He's probably my favorite player ever. Cool. This one's for both of you. I think I know your answer for for. I think I know what both your answers are going to be. What's the better school, Brown or Harvard? Brown. <laughs> Harvard. You want to back that up I'm at all? Faster, so I win. <laughs> uh, your Pat, this one's for you. Your NBA pro comparison. If you were to uh, consider compare your game to one NBA pro, who would it be? I don't know, man. I I don't watch a ton of NBA. I watch a lot more college basketball. Um, so, all right, I'll I'm let not you, sure. I'll let you off the hook and give you another one right here. The first app you open on your phone when you wake up in the morning. Um, another tough Robin one. Robin Hood. <laughs> Robin Hood. <laughs> I love it. Uh, this one's for either of you. Favorite flavor of M and M? Peanut butter. Same. I love the peanut M and M. All right. Well, I was trying to trip trip you up there. I was two, all two over Ivy it. League educated uh, athletes. All M and M. Like if you're talking to a standard chocolate bag of M and M without the peanuts, that's a bad question. No, huh? that's a good question. There's pretzel M and M. All color of M and M's taste the same. It's not like yeah, Skittles. but there's so all many different types. You have the peanut butter. You have yeah, the pretzel, I was thinking have... standard chocolate M and M's, like red, blue, brown, all, right, all the same. Whatever. I, I didn't like that question, guys. Sorry. <laughs> my my last one here. I'll go with uh, Erica, the musical artist or band that you want to see live in concert. Drake. Okay. There you go. All right, you got, Dan, you got anything else? Yeah, mine was going to be uh, your favorite al- album or pregame pump-up music. So I would assume Drake for you, Erica? Yeah, he's definitely on there a lot. <laughs> All right, I have my um, Here, go ahead, Pat. Favorite album, um, Abbey Road by the Beatles. Classic. Interesting. All right, my last one, this is for both of you. You have an open three-pointer to win the game. You could take it from anywhere around the arc, top of the arc, left wing, right wing, It's got to be the corner. Which, where are you taking it from? <laughs> Pat. I'm taking it from the slot. Adelaide's I'm, uh, oh, that's interesting. My coaches actually call me top of the key E, so I am taking it from the top of the key. Nice. All right. Yeah, I think that's going to do it for us. You guys survived the Start the Buses segment. <laughs> Thanks so much for giving us some time, and it was really interesting to have both of you on being siblings and being from Canada and playing at the Division One level. So thanks for your time, and best of luck to both of you for the rest of this season. Thank you. It was awesome being, uh, being on it. Thanks for having us. No problem. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, guys. All right, great stuff from the Steves siblings there, guys. Not every day they get to talk to a brother and sister combo that both play at the Division One level, and while we're at it, get some info on Canadian basketball as well. So a whole lot of different angles, and that was a really fun interview to do. Talk about an impressive pair of siblings to start off having success in Canadian basketball, come over to America, have success here at the D1 level, and go to both Ivy League schools. I mean, Patrick transferred, obviously, but killed it at Harvard academically. Erica's doing her thing at Brown. So uh, some good genes in that family. Not only making the adjustment to American D1 basketball, very seamless, but also adjusting to life in the Ivy League as a student-athlete. That's nothing to sneeze at, so definitely impressive talking to those two. Yeah, and then the Start the Buses segment was fun, as always, like we did with our many guests in the in the preseason. And I don't even know why I asked Erica her favorite venue to play at. Got to be the Pleasure, and that was an easy one for her, but definitely a great interview and a good topic to kind of round out this episode as we look ahead here in as we approach Valentine's Day, I should say, with the bracket preview that came out for the NCAA tournament because Twitter erupted. Like I said, we're recording this on Sunday. This will probably come out on Monday if uh, our producer 
I wonder who that is, gets it out in time. But there was a lot of reaction to the 16 seeds. Is this the second year they've done this, the 16-team yeah, preview? Yeah, it's at least the second. Yeah, I remember. I remember it last year. So the bracket preview from the NCAA tournament committee came out today. And I guess we're not going to go through every team, 1 through 16. We'll just talk about our major takeaways from it. I'll let you guys start with that. I have a major takeaway about one of the regions. If this was the top four seeds in one of these regions, I kind of want to just throw out how lackluster of a top four seed lines that would be in particular in that region. But I know the bottom couple of teams were a source of not controversy, but definitely something that people were looking at. Even Oklahoma snuck in at 16. A lot of people think the Trey Young factor is the biggest thing there. Well, for me, the important thing to remember is that this is just a preview. So that being said, I do I do hear that Oklahoma's been struggling, and I do hear you that hear com- that Oklahoma. Well, been no, struggling? no. I mean, when this came out, everyone was complaining on Twitter. Why is Oklahoma in? They just lost several games. I mean, right now, I think they they deserve to be in. But coming towards the end of the season, I'm not sure that we're going to be able to say the same thing. Also, teams like Clemson losing the you know it's their best players. A lot of new a lot of new teams in this that we haven't previously seen, like Auburn, Clemson, Texas Tech, Purdue even. you know. Yeah, the- at face value, it's not a very attractive group of no. 16. Right. It's, but it's, it has been an attractive season of college basketball. That's I mean, what I was going to say. There's so many, like, I have no idea. I mean, usually I was saying, like, the other day, usually at this point in the season, there's some team I'm leaning towards being the national champions. I'm usually wrong, but I at least have someone in my mind. I have no idea. Like, I, I'm looking at these 16 teams. It may not honestly even be one of these 16 teams. Well, this is a great discussion because we might have Joe Lenardi on for the second time because St. Joe's is coming to the Bronx this week, midweek, on Valentine's Day. I know we talked to him about possibly having him on the show for that. We did have an interview with him earlier, not too long ago, a couple episodes back. Was that actually our last episode? Yeah, it was. It was. So just one episode back <laughs> if you want to check that out on iTunes or on our website or on our Twitter at StudentSecPod. But we'll... We, if we get him on, we'll ask him probably some questions about this bracket preview. But one thing I was talking about with the region, I know a lot's going to change. This is not how it's going to play out. But it's just crazy. It speaks to how the season's gone. Like you were saying, Tom, the Midwest region, the number one seed there, Xavier, Auburn the two, Clemson the three, and Oklahoma the four. If that was my region and I'm any type of mid-major, I'm licking, licking my lips shops, at yeah. that. Yeah. Because that, how does that happen? I mean Xavier. I think you're sleeping on Xavier. Xavier. Xavier's legit. Like I think they're a solid one. Auburn at two. I mean they are winning games. Auburn, and I'm still not totally sold on them. But Clemson, I think it's a week three, especially with the injury. And Oklahoma at four. Like like we said, I think that's kind of Trey Young's name. Well, we think West there, Virginia. Have some good names. We were saying. Or I was telling you guys before the show. I think West Virginia should be should have been in the 16 because they beat Oklahoma twice and they also beat. Virginia well, also, how about Gonzaga and St. Mary's? Neither of them in here. Yeah, no, they're the 11th no and, mid-majors. I know people don't really consider right. Gonzaga They're the and 11th and 12th ranked teams in the country, and neither of them get it. Yeah, it's, it's schools that you know, but teams that haven't been necessarily dominant at basketball year in and year out. And I don't know. We've probably got a little bit of time for a couple final thoughts here before we move. What if we each pick, uh, you know, pick a final four based on these teams? Maybe I was going to bring up two teams that I think are going to make the final four. So yeah, I like that idea. Um, if this is how it held, it won't be obviously the the regions. But I'll let you guys take. And we a... also don't know the five through sixteen. But hypothetically, we had a pick from the sixteen teams here. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll go through it. I- I'll start us up. Give you guys a second to think about it because I was going to bring up to Dan. I think Villanova and Virginia are near locks to make the final four. I know that's bold to say. I just have the best feeling about those two teams, and this is a day after Virginia just lost to Virginia Tech, and Villanova's coming off a win, but then before that they lost to St. John's after St. John's took down 
Duke, I'll send Villanova through Ohio State and Duke in that East region in this hypothetical. Texas Tech's the three in there. I like Villanova a lot when they get Booth and Pascal back. Pascal's just got a concussion. Booth, hopefully, for the Big East tournament with the wrist. Virginia would have to take down. Wait, let's well, let's go. We'll go region by region. Okay, yeah, stay with yeah. that. All right, so East, you're saying so East is one Villanova, two Duke, three Texas Tech, four Ohio State. Well, Matt, you're taking. Villanova. I like a fully healthy Villanova, probably the most in the entire country. I'm probably going Duke out of there. I think Duke Villanova, but they're be a like great opposites, game. man. They're like opposites. There's no chemistry with this Duke uh, team. I There's just, a ton of chemistry with Villanova's well, team. Well, I think they're they are opposites in that way. I think they're similar in that they both have a lot of talent, but are pretty shallow. And have had March Madness success recently, and with great coaches. I think Duke. I think this Duke team is still the most talented team in the country. Well, with a shallow team that's inexperienced, though, Villanova shallow guys have been there before. A lot of them have. We're yeah, on the national right. championship team. It's Phil tough. Booth. I, I mean, can see if this. If Omari being... Spellman, who's in his first season with Villanova, if he can turn up, they've got six, seven guys that I like my chances. I with. can see it being a region where none of these four teams, honestly, get, get in because Villanova and Duke are both vulnerable. But I'm taking Duke. Right. I just have a good feeling about this Duke team. I'm going Duke out of these four in the East. To me, there's a very clear divide at the top. I think Villanova, Duke, Michigan State, maybe Virginia, those teams are in a pool of their own. Everyone, All the other top teams kind of follow in the second tier. But Villanova-Duke is very interesting, and I think this is a Duke team. Sure, they've got the talent, but I could easily see them losing early in the tournament like we've seen with so many talented Duke years in or Duke teams in years past, in the, seen that with Villanova teams too. Like in last the, year, yeah, you're right, right. In the Duke UNC game, it, it was basically just like Duke going to um, Bagley at the top of the key, and he was right. just going high low down to whoever it was, Bolden or Carter, which works against some teams. But I don't know. I mean, we saw uh, Spellman and and uh, Pascal not do too bad against Delgado when they played Seton Hall recently. So. We'll, We'll see. I like Villanova coming out of there. I'm Dan, going. I'm going, going Duke. I'm. I, Duke. I know. I just said all that negative stuff about them, but at the end of the day, I'm riding with my starting five team. So. And I do want to talk about Virginia. So we'll just skip across to the the South region at the bracket that I'm looking at on, on the March Madness at March Madness Twitter account. Virginia is the one. Tennessee sneaks in as the four. Cincinnati and Michigan State, the two and the three, respectively, two of my starting five segment teams i think cincinnati's d is really good virginia's is better and this this how about the defense that would be played in in this region if this is how it shook out i think virginia's just an all-around better team and better uh i was gonna say better coaching i like tony bennett but mick cronin has done some good things too. well i mean we're completely just discounting michigan state in this region i'm not discounting them but with everything that's going on with them this year, I do like Michigan State a lot, but I, I like Virginia and Villanova the most I, in the country. So. I like Virginia. I'm the biggest pack line defense guy around, but I don't I don't think Virginia is a talented enough team to win a national championship. I know Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome are a really solid duo, but Virginia is a team to me that's going to beat all the teams they should beat and then lose once they play a super talented top team. I like Michigan State out of this region. Cincinnati does nothing for me. I know Gary Clark's special, and they got a good – defense but Michigan State to me with Miles Bridges you know hit that big shot against Purdue yesterday the three to win it I think that Michigan State is coming together I still think they have a lot of NBA talent Jackson too so well with me with that for me you're relying on a big game offensively from these guys against a top defense and in the tournament neutral site it's just a lot more it's a lot I think easier I, I for think defense to travel to the tournament to translate to the tournament I than it is athleti- to get a hot shooting performance to beat Virginia. I think athleticism and NBA level talent it can, will outweigh will travel more so than defense. So you're going you're going uh Michigan State. Yeah, out of that. So. I would I would have How to- about me picking both one seeds so far we've been through. I kind of have a reputation <laughs> for that. 
I'm going to go with Michigan State as well, and I think that's one thing that you mentioned, the NBA talent is that that's overlooked. In years past, teams that make a deep run in the tournament, look at these Kentucky teams. You know, everyone, every team that makes a, a big run, for the most part, is led by guys that are going to the NBA. That being said, you pair them with a great coach like Tom Izzo. Yeah, well, Some off-the-court issues may be driving him to, to coach even harder this year. I kind of like that for Yeah, Michigan but what State. does Michigan State struggle with the most? Turnovers. Cassius Winston and company. What does Virginia do the best? Maybe not turn people over, but stop people on defense. So... Yeah. I don't know. You guys, are, you guys are my Ken Palm guys. I don't know uh, Virginia's, Virginia's turnover. Virginia's defense rates. is just unbelievable. They turn people over, too, or they just stop They're them? more – they get some turnovers. They're more just grind you out. I could pull up the exact stats, but I, I, they're You look more at that while we go down to the other regions because we don't percentage. have a, a ton of time because that interview with the Steve's siblings was uh, obviously a double interview. Well, so Virginia forces turnovers on 23% of possessions. Defensively, it's 12th best in the country. I'll take number 12. And they only turn it over 15% of the time on offense, fifth best in the country. We'll so. save that Midwest region that I brought up uh, not too long ago with, that I thought was kind of weak for last. Um, the West is Purdue, the one. Two is Kansas. Three is North Carolina. Four is Arizona. I brought up the Duke-UNC matchup a couple days ago. I'm still not sold on North Carolina this year. I like Joel Berry in March Madness. I think he's an important guy to have. He's kind of like a Frank Mason this year. He's going to go to the line, knock down his free throws, stuff like that. I don't know if they have enough around him. I'm not the biggest Luke May guy, so not crazy about them. And Arizona is an interesting team coming off a, a tough loss. Kansas, they, they've been very interesting this year. And Purdue, the one here, I might have to go with another number one because I'm I'm all Shocking. about – no, I'm all about just – name recognition of the players and guys that you know have have been in certain spots before I actually had Iowa State over Purdue in last year's tournament and Purdue won I think in the second round um they've got six or seven guys where you just know these guys have been in these spots before and I know they've lost a couple in a row but Purdue I I trust them I trust Villanova I trust Virginia and I trust Purdue this year it's not always the teams you trust that end up making it there. I, this is a tough region. Uh, I mean, Purdue, just this past week, I kind of got sold on Purdue. Both the Edwards have been outstanding. Haas, I mean, they just have huge guys. Dakota Mathias is one of the most unique players in the country, too. I was sold on them. Then they lose two straight games this week. You know, with them is— Who do they lose to? It's a talent. Well, they, they lost, they lost to, Michigan to Michigan State. Michigan State and Ohio State. Okay. Uh, we were two very good teams. And we've made a mental note, uh, actually out loud, we made an out loud note to talk to watch Mich- watch Ohio State more and right. talk about them more. Uh, so, in this region, I'm going with my starting five team of Kansas. I know <laughs> I lost Billy Preston, which we'll talk—you know, we've talked a lot we about. We might be but... the number one Billy Preston podcast <laughs> in the country. Devontae Graham. I, I still—Gerald Vick, Malik Newman. You know what? I think Kansas is due. They're due for a run. Bill Self is due. And this isn't the greatest region. I could see Arizona's talent— uh, I so badly want there, Dan to pick Arizona. But I'm going uh, you know Kansas. I'm gonna. It's Arizona by a mile for me. Uh, <laughs> Tyler Trillo, I just look at this out. team. Yeah, Tyler Trillo, shout out to him. But, you know, this is the the region where I look at, with the exception of Purdue, these are teams that we're accustomed to seeing at the top. So Arizona, North Carolina, and Kansas, three great programs. But guess what? Kansas and North Carolina, at least in my perspective this year, are not what they once were. Arizona struggled uh, early on in the season. They've looked good since then. And uh, guess what? I'm riding another starting five team into the final four. And none of us are really sold on North Carolina this year, right? Because it's not the North Carolina team that just won the national championship where they're going to kill you on the glass. I know they they went off on the offensive glass against Duke, and Duke is a team that's known to be a great offensive rebounding team with with all those big guys this year. But I'm not sold on North Carolina because they don't have your 
Isaiah Hicks and, and those type of guys right. this year down low. It's hard to root for for a UNC team where Luke May is, you know, if not the first option, the second. I mean, he's so. not bad. Like, this guy no, almost puts not, up a double-double no, every he's, game. He's, and he's shoots. a great player, but guess what? He's not the flashy UNC player that we're accustomed to seeing. So That's true. All right, let's wrap up quickly with the Midwest region. Xavier the one, Auburn at two, Clemson the three, Oklahoma is the four. Tom has Oklahoma in the starting five with Trey Young. Dan has Xavier in the starting five. He's a big Xavier fan. Hopefully we'll get to see them up close and personal at the Big East tournament in New York. A weak region. I am going to pick my fourth one seed here. Let's go. I, I would rank Parker. Oklahoma second, I think, in this in this uh, region, which is kind of bold because I know Auburn's having a great season. Bruce Pearl, Coach of the Year candidate. Clemson without – I don't know which player went down for them. but Our front court guy. I forget his yeah. name off the top of my head, but he was um, there. Xavier, good free throw shooting team, good veteran leadership. I see them coming out of this probably the weakest on paper in this bracket preview that came out uh, today on the February 11th. Yeah. It's uh, Dante Grantham, who's the uh, Clemson folks. Yeah, I knew that was the double whammy, losing him to injury yeah. and then not getting Zion Williamson. I'm going uh, Xavier as well. I almost said egg Xavier, excuse me. Um, but – Oklahoma, they've struggled. Trey Young, certainly a great star, but I think his name is riding a little bit too heavily into Oklahoma's uh, reputation at this point in the season. Clemson, obviously, big injury. They've had great success. Will be interesting to see. I wouldn't be surprised if they fall out of this, you know, by the end, by the time the bracket is released. Yeah. Auburn, big Mustafa Heron guy. I watched him play in high school. The one dunk we posted on our Twitter still gets like a couple retweets a day. Oh, yeah. Mustafa, Mustafa's like a walking highlight tape. Um, that being said, though, it's got to be Xavier for me. Uh, J.P. McCura, Karam Cantor, like you said, veteran, I like Cantor, yeah. veteran leadership, and that's all that it comes down to. Free throws, man. Chris Mack's a great coach. They got Trayvon Blewett, just unbelievable score. Tom, do you have free throw percentages at the, at the palm of your hands over there? So, I don't have a working oh, yeah. laptop. Can so you? while Tom relays that information, probably important to note. So I got my final four, rounding it out, Xavier, Duke, Michigan State and Arizona, three of the four teams being starting five, so not to break. Xavier, final four trip for Xavier shoots seventy-seven percent from the stripe. That's fifteenth best in the country, and they also do a good job getting to the line. So their free throw attempts per field goal attempts, which is a little maybe over your head. I know you're not a math guy. It's forty point three percent. Basically, means they get to the line a lot relative to how much they shoot. And I'll just call Patrick Steves, who we just heard from, and ask him to explain <laughs> that to me after the show. Uh, but I'm with you guys. I'm going with Xavier here. I think that. This is the weakest region for sure. I think Auburn is getting sleep slept on a little bit. I think they're better than people think. It's just because people don't think of them as a basketball school. But Bryce Brown is also another really good player that you didn't mention. But uh, Clemson, I don't think with the injury, I, I don't think they really have a chance. And Oklahoma, I just haven't seen enough from people not named Trey Young on that team. Now, this is a region where typically old me would have picked like a seven seed or something, and we don't know who it would be to get to the final four. But I've realized a lot of times in the in the weakest regions, I think the one usually does kind of run it because there's no really threat from the two, three, or four. So I'm going with Xavier. Uh, I wasn't big on Xavier in the beginning of the year, but they're just delivering time and time again. Blue, it's a star capable of, of being you know the guy on a national championship And then team. real quick, I know we talked about we might have Lenardi this week. In the his prediction for what this bracket preview would look like, was there anything that jumped out to you, anybody he had in that, that didn't? Oh, i got to pull that up. Kind of put me on the spot. Well, I thought, you, I thought you actually have it up, so let's see. I have an like, iPad first generation here that I've been grinding with. Things grinder. Well, the computer, the laptop's not been working. So he has Villanova as a one. We don't have to run through Virginia. it. Does he have West Virginia in there? Let me scroll down. He has yeah. West Virginia as a four. 
a four seed. Well, yeah, I'm saying I think that would have replaced Oklahoma. Yeah, he doesn't have Oklahoma in there. He has Tennessee as a three. That's another team that I'm not really big on. Maybe it's because I don't see, I don't watch their games enough. But to me, Tennessee is just like, I don't know how this kind of they're, they're like yeah, Auburn. Yeah, they're SEC exactly. schools that you think of, you know, for football that right. are actually having like good basketball seasons. All right, fair enough. Well, I think my biggest concern was no West Virginia in here. If you're going to put Oklahoma in, I mean, they lost twice to them this year. But that that's going to do it for us. I mean, thanks again to Patrick Steves and Erica Steves, Pat at GW after playing at Harvard, and Erica a member of the Brown women's basketball team. Stay tuned for the next episode, possibly featuring Joe Lenardi, who will be in town this week. But that's all for us on this episode, number 17, for Tom Scabelli and Dan DiOrio. I'm Matt Murphy. Be a fan of the student section. Happy, happy moment, happy, happy moment, happy, happy moment.